Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome, everybody, to the Forever Mighty podcast. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a different show today, as you'll notice in a minute. Uh, there's not going to be a ton of hockey to talk about. Instead, we will be looking across the pond to English football. Um, I don't know why I'm talking like this. It's fine. Uh, with us today, obviously, it's me, it's Eddie, and then joining us uh, is Brent Maximin. Uh, he's a football writer, um, former editor for SB Nation's The Busby Babe, and one of my favorite people on Twitter lately. So I will say that. How you doing, Brent? Uh, good, thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. No Excited to talk uh, hockey. <laughs> At some point, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I guess the first question, one of the things we wanted to ask you was just kind of like, how how you got into the United fan and rooting about United, rooting for United, writing about United, things like that? Uh, for, as far as being a football fan, uh, I think I have a similar story. Or as far as being a United fan, I should say, I probably have a similar story for a lot of people of my generation, uh, which is that um, when I was at that very impressionable age, when you pick uh, a favorite team, the Premier League was uh, the most widely broadcast league uh, in the world of the European leagues, and United were the best team there was. And then I fell in love with Eric Cantona. <laughs> Not hard to do. <laughs> no, yeah, um, still, still, I'm in love with Eric Cantona. Um, One of the as most... far as as writing uh, football, writing about United. Um, I think I started out again, like a lot of people, in message boards, you know, back in the, the dark days of, of the internet. <laughs> and, um, you know, my full time career was very different. Uh, and I was actually in grad school for psychology the first time, or fin- I had just finished grad school actually. Uh, the first time I wrote an article about football, um, and it was a friend of mine 
who is now a, an editor and producer, uh, who I made on one of those very nerdy message boards, uh, who <laughs> asked me to write. Um, yeah, I started writing for a few different outlets and then got into uh, editing as well. And yeah, I've just been doing it in, in my free time uh, ever since. That's awesome. So it's funny too, because like the way I became a United fan, I almost feel like is the only way to have become a United fan if you missed the like peak Sir Alex Ferguson days. Mm. I remember getting home, like I left college and got home and my friends were huge soccer fans. And I was like, all right, well, let me get into this. And then I was like trying to pick a team and, you know, Stoke City's a fun name, Aston Villa, you know, all that, just like all that kind of stuff. And then I ended up just picking United because my buddy was a United fan. And I was like, if I pick a team that someone's already a fan of, I can learn things easier. And then it turned out, I found out after the fact, is that I picked the Yankees. And I didn't know what to do with that information. Um, but, you know, like the first season I really started watching was David Moyes' first season. That's, so, like, that's a tough year to come in. Yeah, man, it's honestly, it's been like being a Laker fan for the Smush Parker era. Like, it's just been a disaster. But it's also been kind of fun because you've gotten to watch the club kind of get back to that level. And for me, it's turned back into a, a competitive team that for, you know, six or seven of the last ten years, they just haven't been. Um, yeah, there's, um, oof. I mean, I now know um, more United fans who, uh, you know, got into United or got into the sport more recently. You know, football has been part of my life since I was, uh, you know, very young, since I was a little kid, basically. Uh, but now I know more recent United fans, and <clears throat> sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that uh, there are fans who only know United being disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because yeah, there was a, there was for, for my whole teenage years. Because uh, I said one of the things that I was uh, had noted on Twitter today is that I think Arsenal United is the best Premier League era rivalry. Even though Liverpool and, and City are United's two biggest rivals, uh, and then there's Leeds, you know, in, in terms of historic rivalries. In terms of title rivals, there was nothing like Arsenal United uh, in the 90s, early 2000s, because one of those two clubs won the title every season, and the players just genuinely didn't like each other. So to go from, okay, we're either going to win the Premier League or... Arsenal will beat us and we'll come second to whatever that David Moyes season was. <laughs> the death by a thousand cuts of Louis Van Gaal <laughs> to the absolute misery of Jose Mourinho. I mean, for that to be... That's my was, guy. Like, that, that is I 75% love of your fandom. That is, that is rough, you know. I feel like we have... <laughs> You've only gotten it. I don't know what the equivalent is in, in American sports. It would be like if you picked, if you're trying to pick an NBA team and you picked the Cavs this summer when LeBron left to Miami. Yeah, exactly. Except LeBron would have been playing for the Cavs for 25 years <laughs> before, <laughs> before that. Like that's how, that's how long the good times had been going on and you just got on at exactly the wrong time. Yeah. And then, of course, LeBron never came back. 
Like that's you know. It, it's hard to think about. Like Stephen, I didn't know before this when you became a United fan, but you know, for any of us like you, Brent, as well, when you're watching back and now when you went through those painful periods, you're watching this come back and. I feel like Stephen, probably for you, it's there's an excitement, right? Because they're they're actually good for the first time since you've really been watching it. And then for a lot of us who've watched, you know, the glory days when you know the, the heydays of United, and then to come to this is there's some speculation, right? There's some skepticism, like okay, like this is good, but it's not quite at that dominant level that they were at when we were used to watching them growing up. Like I caught the the tail end of United's dominance when I started really getting into to soccer and watching the Premier League. So I, I have a small taste of, of kind of when they were winning the last, you know, four or five years when Sir Alex Ferguson was there. So there's like that little taste in the beginning of, oh, okay, they're a winning team, and now they're getting back to that. But it's, yeah, it's crazy to think that, you know, there's so many people who come in, they're, they're not used to it. They're just used to United losing and sw- switching through managers and, and really not having a taste of success. So you look at last year and, I know a lot of people were disappointed with uh, the Europa League final loss and, and the you know the semi-final loss in the FA Cup as well, and they're not used to that winning. So it feels like progress, and for some of us, it's like oh, we're just waiting to get back to that point where they were they were so dominant, right? Yeah, it's it's funny, like you know, like it, the overall reaction to the Mourinho eras for fans who have been fans longer than me is so negative you know and i i don't know how much of that is his two times at chelsea and you know also just the part where he's an incredibly easy person to root against but like i i always just enjoyed how how just arrogant and disrespectful he was just to the general stuff like my favorite thing is they're being like yeah so man united hasn't been very good he's like oh i don't know what you're talking about we just won europa league which we've never won so as far as i'm concerned I'm adding prestige to the club. And it's just like, dude, they want a European treble. Like, this is not a thing that you should be excited about. But I think, you know, as a fan who had only known them for being bad, having a, a manager with that, like, swagger was very different. You know, Louis Van Hall wasn't like that. Um, David Moyes certainly wasn't like that. David Moyes was just a walking meme. Um, so, I, I don't know. It's funny. Yeah, I would say I... One thing I appreciate about about um, you know supporters like you, Stephen, who um, knew what to United is that perspective, right? Because you have a ton of uh, older United fans or fans who have you know followed United for longer, having this sense of entitlement um, that can be really toxic sometimes, especially in in the cesspool of of Twitter and yeah. comments and comment sections, um, but. Yeah, when your introduction was okay, this team is not that good. Then uh, progress. Then I think sometimes you have more appreciation for it, you know. Whereas some some fans who've been around longer who can't let go of the glory days or can't accept that hey, football is cyclical, and you know it's not normal that a club can turn things around over the course of one summer. Uh, from being nowhere near title to to title winners, um, and you know it, it's like you said, like you, you know you can still you can get more excited about winning the Europa League, uh, you know you can get more excited about um, you know seeing progress in the style of play improve. Um, what I will say though is that 
I did not enjoy Jose Mourinho at all. It has nothing to do with him being at Chelsea. I don't like. Isn't it in the nineties, late like late nineties, early two thousands? Chelsea was a bogey team for United even before the takeover. For some reason, we could never get a good result at Stamford Bridge, so they were annoying. But even when they became good, I, don't, I never really considered Chelsea a rival in the way that Liverpool and City were. Even when City was shit and Liverpool was shit, they were still bigger rivals than Chelsea. So I don't really care about Mourinho being at Chelsea. Um, but Mourinho's football made me... <laughs> it, like, I would wake up... and At, at one point when Mourinho was um, at United, I was living on the west coast of the US. So I'd be, so when we had a noon kickoff, I'd be up at 4 a.m. local time and just angry. You know what it is to be angry? At like 4 a.m., like the sun is not coming up for another two hours, and I'm just <laughs> just furious already. Your day's ruined at that point, so. Oh, my day is ruined. <laughs> and the sun, like I'm just waiting for other people to get up. After after said, I'm going to wait another two hours for other people to get up so I could make them as miserable as I already am. And I'm tired. <laughs> You know, just everything about his style of play. And, and when Mourinho is on, he's hilarious. I, like, I, I love him as a personality when he's as far away from my club as possible. Yeah. You know, when he's poisoning the relationship between the team and the fans and the players and himself and himself and the management and himself and the fans, um, it's hysterical. When he's doing it at your club, you want to die. You know, you want <laughs> to walk into the ocean and never, never come back. He yeah. is a football dementor. I can't <laughs> say it in strong enough terms how much I did not enjoy anything about. I mean, maybe that first year there were some bright spots because, you know, Pogba came in, Ibrahimovic came in, and he thought, okay, this is a guy who is, he has a big enough personality for the club. Um, Maybe he had learned his lesson from from his hubris at Madrid and he got sort of humble there because Madrid as a club fan base media sort of chased him out there like he was not popular. And you could tell he didn't enjoy that second spell at Chelsea. But, you know, when he said, oh, I'm the happy one now, okay. Um, he's now said that three or four times in a row. We know he's lying. <laughs> like he's just not happy in football. He's just miserable. Um, I thought, all right, maybe this is going to be different. Wrong again. You know, by the second season, he was already complaining and sniping and, and uh, you know, choosing, as he does at every club, you know, chooses players to have a weird vendetta against to, to freeze out and ostracize and alienate. Um, so, yeah, so, no, did not did not enjoy Mourinho. Yeah, my buddy, who, like I said, he was the one who's a United fan, and, you know, he has all the memories of, of Beckham and Giggs and the Neville brothers and Skulls and all those guys. And the differences in the way that we went through that Mourinho era is so funny because he goes, it was because I remember him telling me, he's like, I know you don't get this yet, but I need you to understand this. The two things that United have historically been known for is for bringing in young players and for playing aggressive attacking football because I don't think you understand that we're bringing in a defensive first guy who prefers 35 year olds and I was like 
oh, okay, yeah, that doesn't sound great. And then he got there, and it was kind of Ibrahimovic and, you know, Pogba coming back and all that kind of stuff. And it was funny. And then I remember watching him turn on the players because at first it was these players are great. They're going to do what I'm going to ask them to do. We're doing what we can. Uh, you know, I, I can't ask more of these guys. You know, that's when we get like the Ander Herrera turns into a super defender for a game and locks up Hazard and all that kind of. And it's just all that great stuff. And then he just goes, these players aren't good enough. I don't know what anybody wants from me. I've talked to the club. The club won't give me new players. And it's like, oh, it just twi- it just flipped right away. And now that's where we're at. And oh, just watching that end like that was just, I remember waking up to the news that he had been fired and being like, yeah, it was time. <laughs> just, that wasn't good. I, I retweet that announcement every year on the anniversary. I celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, it's, it's Mourinho getting sacked day today. You know, share it again. It's, it gets a little jolt of adrenaline knowing that we fired Mourinho. Um, yeah, he was just, I mean, in, in terms of style, we've seen him be adaptable before. You know, his um, his Madrid team, they were a counter-attacking team, um, but they were exciting. Um, I mean, that was clearly, that's one of the... the you know, most exciting teams, I think, most devastating teams La Liga has ever seen. You know, that Ozil Ronaldo team. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mourinho is is Mourinho. I think, and I, I think at this point, expecting him to to change or be chastened by any experiences is foolish, as I as I learned um, myself. And and I think actually Mourinho also makes me appreciate the Van Hal era even less because Van Hal forced us into the arms of Mourinho. Because <laughs> Van Hal's football was boring on purpose, right? It was boring by design. And if his football wasn't that dreary, like if we weren't desperate to feel something, to feel anything, we wouldn't have turned to Mourinho. But we were so, it was like, oh, just... Anything must be better than this void, this black hole of feeling of just aimless <laughs> possession of only one player at a time being allowed to dribble of, I mean, Van Hal, and, you know, of course, the Van Hal team still, you know, contained a lot of senior pros who had their relationships in the media. So there was no shortage of leaks as to what went wrong under Van Hal. So it's well established now that, um, forwards were told that they always had to take an extra touch before shooting and that players were only supposed to play these very rigid roles. Um, so yeah, I think the players enjoyed it as much as we did, which is to say not at all. And then it's out of that desperation that we turn to Mourinho. And then we only turn to Van Hel because the job was too big for David Moyes. It's like, oh, let's get a, let's get somebody more proven, a big personality, which Van Hel was. Van Hel is off the pitch, I love Louis Van Hal. He is one of the funniest people to have ever worked in football. The I, I think fall about, on the sideline is still the oh best. Oh my thing god, in the world. that's so that is <laughs> that is impeccable physical comedy, you know. Or or him in that press conference with Mata, uh, where he says he he uses the word horny with his players. He wants his players to be horny. Um, he's so or or when uh, Myron Fellaini got his hair pulled in the game and he said. Um, this is not allowed, um, the pulling of the hair, and then he pauses and he goes, only in 
sex masochism? Is it a love? <laughs> is it a complete deadpan? You can't. I mean, there's nobody. I'm sorry. There is nobody working in football. Mourinho is funny, but he's not that funny. There's nobody that can give that kind of comic timing. But it's just on the pitch. It was so bad. And the, I mean, the larger point in that is that you have to get your appointments right, and it has to be. There has to be an overarching. Um, value system or strategy for when you when a, a football club appoints a manager and we went three appointments in a row with them all being reactionary and to be fair Solskjaer was also a reactionary appointment because we needed good vibes we had the ultimate bad <laughs> we had the ultimate bad vibes manager and we need a good vibes manager um, but he turned out to be good for more than just vibes he turned out to be a, a, a fairly good manager um, but you can make the case that after Sir Alex handpicked David Moyes, every appointment since that has been a reaction to the previous appointment and not necessarily, okay, is this person the best fit for the personnel that we have, for the vision we have, for how we want the club, the team to play. Um, but, you know, hopefully uh, this time, this is our broken clock being right. Just felt like they, you know, you you go from so many years with Sir Alex Ferguson, then obviously he picks his guy in David Moyes, and after that it's like, okay, we're gonna go out and get the biggest name available, and then Louis Van Gaal comes in, and then he goes, and then okay, well Mourinho's available, we're gonna go get him, and then with Solskjaer, it feels like you said it's like a good vibes type signing to bring him in, almost similar to what they, not what they did with David Moyes, but a, a under the radar signing for a manager, a guy who wasn't really proven. You know, he, he got it done it been with Molda and then, you know, but no real track record like Mourinho and Val, Van Hal had. And then you, you kind of push away from that and get back to what was successful for them in the past. And I'm, I'm not 100% sold on, on Solskjaer yet. I think obviously what he's done has been way better than the Mourinho era and, and the Van Hal era. Uh, but it, it is kind of a, a reversion back to what had made them successful so far. And it never hurts to bring in a guy who, who knows what, the club is about right and has been around the glory days for united he knows what this club is about and steven you mentioned this earlier about bringing in young players and and signing uh you know not 35 year olds like right that that's that's instilled with him we've seen that right bringing in guys like uh, pilistri and, and uh diallo and obviously promoting you know greenwood and, and the other guys that he's promoted so far right so you you kind of see that the reason they went back to a guy like solskjaer now hopefully it pans out uh, you know, I think fans are split right now uh, on whether he's the guy to to kind of move things forward or not. But uh, you know, he he's got finally the backing I think from the club with the signings this summer to really go out and do it. And now we just got to wait till everybody gets back and is 100% healthy. So that kind of gets to something I think is really interesting about soccer, which is you know specifically like especially European football, like the way that transfers work the way that that it's financial fair play. There's not really an established cap. Um, excuse me. I'm sorry. But, you know, I, I think one of the things that, again, just because of the time that I have come in and what I've watched is you, you watch this club go from being an institution built on the back of an institution in Sir Alex Ferguson. Like I think him and United, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but like him and United are to a degree inseparable, but they are also both separate identities. Um, and 
you know, he was the coach and he was a manager and then he's finding all these young players and stuff. And then when he leaves, they bring in David Moyes, who he handpicks. And we also get Woodward stepping way outside of his zone of expertise. And now he's in charge of the football side of it and not just the money side of it. And, you know, this you, you kind of see, like, as we've been talking about, like over the last 10 years, the way the club has just been trying to find itself again after having moved on from Ferguson. And I, I, I wonder, Brent, do you think not having addressed that before Ferguson left hurt the club? Or do you think once he left, it was always going to be an issue? Um, I think to a degree it was always going to be an issue, right? You, you, you in terms of the, the shoes that the actual managing of the football team, filling those shoes. Um, but definitely a lot of it has to do with a failure of planning. And we see some of that with Arsenal as well, right? Because uh, Arsene Wenger was not as good or successful as Sir Alex Ferguson, but he is the closest thing to Sir Alex Ferguson in the Premier League era in, in England. Um, in terms of the longevity and in terms of the total control that, that those two managers had over their club. Um, and and uh, not just total control, but having a hand in every aspect. Uh, you know, the idea of Sir Alex working under a director of football uh, would have been seen as being ludicrous, right? He is the director of football. Um, and he knew how to delegate to his coaches in the same way that, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does, because uh, Solskjaer famously doesn't do a lot of uh, coaching on the training ground. Um, you know, he steps in when needed, but, you know, the, the coaches handle, like, most of the sessions. And Sir Alex was like that as well, uh, but he would have a hand in everything, you know, in recruitment, in in uh, negotiation of contracts, you know, all kinds of, of stuff, and scouting and everything. And I think not, not recognizing that that couldn't be replicated and not... Um, modernizing the structure was a failure on the organizational level and david gill has maybe been maybe his reputation has grown because of of you know how uh what what is seen as being incompetent at his job um but him uh leaving at the same time as alex was also a huge problem that uh that transition needed to be handled better as well because you can have a new um, chairman, essentially, even though Woodward's title is executive, vice chairman, whatever it is. But you can't have a new right. person in charge and a new manager uh, um, when the figures they're replacing are, well, one, this manager who's this larger-than-life uh, kind of supreme, almost mythical figure at this point in time, and another person who has been well-established in his job um, and is for better or for worse, is seen, like, at least has that authority, whether or not he was actually good or not, uh, you know, you can leave that debate for another time. I'm talking about David Gill here. So I think not foreseeing that, applying for that better was uh, a failure. Uh, and also on the recruitment side, because let's face it, that team that won in, in 2013 was not a team that was going to win again without significant investment. Right, that team is a title winner under Alex Ferguson. It's not a title winner winner under anybody else. Right, that was 
Robin Van Persie had one of the greatest individual campaigns ever. Um, and the rest of that team was held together by, you know, hopes and dreams and adrenaline and duct tape. <laughs> there were a lot of aging. You know, Michael Carrick was, I don't know, 64, 65 years old at that point in time. Um, you know, Rio and Vidic were on their last legs. Evra was, was close to being on his last I mean, team needed a refresh and significant investment. Uh, the structure of the club was not prepared to act decisively in the window. David Moyes famously, um, Tiago was there on a plate and he felt like he didn't see enough of, of Tiago to oh, sign him. Oh, no. Um, no, I I joke a lot about Thiago now, and the play he is now. But when he was leaving Barcelona for Bayern, you know that was a uh, an alley oop. Yeah, we I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I know other players as well, uh, apparently, allegedly, reportedly, uh, that that we could have signed, and then we end up letting Marion Fellaini's um, the clause in his contract. Um, expire for when we could have had him for a certain fee and then buy him anyway for more than that on, on deadline day. So, yeah, it came in uh, as the hero, or, or was it him or Mata who came in on the, the chopper? Ma- Mata came in on the oh. chopper in, in January. Um, love, lovely man, you know, great player, uh, but also didn't have an obvious fit in the team. And no manager that's had him has known how to use him. Um, until he was, you know, past his prime, which is where he is now. Yeah. Uh, so a shame, but I, and I love, I love Juan Mato. Um, but what was David Moyes going to do with with Juan Mato? Nothing. Um, <laughs> which is what he did. Uh, so yeah, it was um, poor planning uh, all around. I would say. So, um, <clears throat> so kind of. At the end of this transition, you know, you can look at the team United have right now, and there are players to be excited about. You know, Bruno and Pogba obviously have started off this year looking just great, looking phenomenal, and playing off of each other in a way that I think highlights how screwed Pogba was when he first got here. Because it's always, you know, one of those things where he was at Juventus and you saw him and you're like, oh, yeah, dude, this dude's incredible. And then, you know, since then we've seen him play for France and you're like, yeah, this dude is incredible. And then you're wondering, it's like, oh, yeah, well, one of those teams had uh, Polini. Uh, no, what am I? Uh, oh, my God. Why can't I think of his name? The old guy with the beard. Italian oh, Pirlo. Pirlo. There we go. And... Um, you know, and Vidal and those kinds of players. And then he's got Conte and those players at, at France. And he's just always kind of been on a talent island by himself for his time at United. And, you know, now you've got Rashford and Martial and Greenwood. You know, uh, you know, Varane comes in, Maguire comes in. So I guess how far away from legitimate contention... Uh, we'll say just in the Premier League, do you think this team is? I think right now, um, without any further signings, uh, United can't compete for the league title. Um, 
And not just any signings, I mean specifically United need to address midfield. Um, we have been kind of doing holding midfield by committee for years now um, and just kind of sticking whoever in there and that's, it's not going to work. Um, <clears throat> I think signing Sancho fills an obvious hole in not just in the squad but in the first 11, right? Because we, we, we lacked playmakers outside of Bruno in the final third. Now you have a, a, a playmaker from wide, somebody who can finish an incredibly productive player for, for only 21. Varan is an upgrade on, on Lindelof, even though Lindelof isn't as good as Harry Maguire, but he's he also is not a bad player. He's a decent player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Varane is an upgrade. You know, he's a similar style player, and he has more experience and also has some strengths that, that Lindelof doesn't. So we upgrade a position of desperately on the right wing. We upgrade a position that maybe was desperately needed, but could have used an upgrade. Um, it's the bit in between that's the problem, right? Because the reason the centre-backs get exposed and the reason that forwards get stuck and forwards are activated and stuff. Safe. No, it is that position in the middle. And I think address that properly. Um, then that's probably one obvious thing. We'll need a lot of luck because Chelsea are very good. City are very good. Uh, Liverpool, if they don't have injury, will be very good again. Um, but in a, in a perfect season where things break our way, where we get lucky with injuries as well, if we can address midfield properly, it probably comes If... They, what what is your ideal signing? I don't know if you don't necessarily. Yeah, you're on mute, bud. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. As I say, what what is your <laughs> ideal signing then for the for midfield? Because I I know there's been a ton of names mentioned, and you don't necessarily have to name any specific guys off. But the way we've seen Pogba start this year, he's playing on the left. He's got a little bit more freedom to kind of move offensively and and just almost free roam across the you know the final third of the pitch, but when Rashford comes back and what we saw when I think when Sancho came on today, Pogba went back and, and played a pivot with Fred and then eventually McTominay when he came on, you know, Steven, you talked about where's Pogba's best position. And when he played with uh, Juventus, he was playing a bit further forward. And when he plays with France, he's got Conte. It's kind of a cover back there. I, I don't know who comes in and allows Pogba still to be able to do that, unless it is, you know, an Aditi or a guy who is strictly going to be that defensive midfield. That's his job. He's in there. I, I don't necessarily think you can bring somebody in as a pivot to play with Pogba, and he still is as, is as, as effective as he has been to start this year. He just doesn't have that freedom. So if you if you had a guy who could come in, or even if it's changing a formation up a bit, like who who's a guy or what's the type of player you bring in to still get the best out of Pogba but improve the midfield for United? Yeah, I mean, it, it is in terms of one signing, it's a tricky one, right? Because it maybe, it's 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 like you said, it um, you you want somebody who's athletic enough to cover for Pogba if he gets moved deeper when Rashford comes back into the team, and I'm of the thinking that 
this team with or without Marcus Rashford, even when he's not on form, is a different team. Uh, because in this current squad, he has he offers a unique counter-attacking threat. Uh, he's so direct, um, and he's just he's productive, right? He he makes shit happen. Um, and in fact, a lot of last season when Pogba was injured was wait for either Bruno or Rashford to make something happen. Um, no, with Sancho, with Pogba fit, uh, with Cavani, there's no. Um, you know more options in in attack, um, but the the biggest problem with midfield is that the best balanced midfield we have is the midfield that <laughs> causes us the most grief. Right? It's McTominay and Fred. It's like I hate seeing two of them together. Even though I like them individually as players, they're so limited uh, because McTominay is not going to be a defensive midfielder. Right? He is he's twenty four now or something. He's a box to box midfielder. He's um, kind of right? Sorry? As he's kind of like a Fellaini, right? Um, I mm, I would say he is... He offers more as a box-to-box than Fellaini did. Um, because so much of Fellaini's game was predicated on, on him being that aerial threat. Yeah. Um, and he was almost better if you push him further forward and use him for, for knockdowns or to hold the ball up and, and get... Um, runners involved whereas McTominay has a little bit more to his game but the more does not include being able to screen in front of the back four and, and pass because he's not a good like he's not a good passer um what I love about McTominay is that he he never hides right he does not shrink you know he, he calls for the ball he tries things whether they come off or not different story um but he's limited I, I like having him in the squad he shouldn't be on uh he shouldn't be in our strongest 11. I would say, uh, unless we have a holding midfielder who can also pass. Um, and I don't know who that is. Um, that's going to be, that will allow us to play Pogba in that closer to his role where he was most successful at Juventus, you know, where he's he's kind of wide-ish on the left. Um, but if Pogba's then dropping in a little bit deeper and we need someone who is really mobile um, and is able to, you know, win possession, recycle it quickly um, and, you know, allow Pogba the freedom to still get forward where he's more he's more effective. I don't know. I mean, you know, there is Ndidi, of course, who is, you know, proven in the league and w- wouldn't take any time to adapt and he's definitely more of a, a ball winner than a distributor from deep. Um Apparently, Solskjaer's primary target is Rice. Um, like that's that's the there's always a board, you know, when when clubs are recruiting. Here's the first choice for this position we want to fill. Second choice, third choice, etc. Apparently, for the central midfield or defensive midfielder, however, Solskjaer sees that position that he wants to fill or upgrade. Rice is the number one choice. I don't know how I feel about that um, <laughs> because Rice is good. I've come around on Declan Rice as being a, a good player. Um, I wasn't impressed with his lack of passing range when I saw him uh, in play for England at the Euros, playing next to someone who does that screening 
be everywhere rule, you know, because that's what Calvin Phillips does for Leeds, right? Leeds play this 4-1-4-1 formation where he is he is the screener in midfield, right? He has to be everywhere. Um, Phillips would be decent, but I think he's limited also. Um, and Rice, the biggest problem with Rice is that he's going to cost a lot, right? He's the next captain of West Ham. He's now an England, not just an England international, he's an England starter, uh, a regular England starter. And West Ham don't really need the money that much um and of course you know there's so much money in the premier league now where you, you can't you can't just go picking off the best players from below the the, the top four like the good old days <laughs> um, now clubs have income and and they're run responsibly so you know it, it, that might be a, a hundred million pound proposition um, but hey if it was 60 or 70 million pounds and if that's who the manager wants then that'd probably be my first choice i think i'm okay with that um there are a ton of other options in 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 league on and then you know around europe and outside of europe as well but i i highly doubt that that's where united are looking uh so yeah yeah i don't i don't know if there's a, a perfect player for that role who's actually attainable uh, but I, I think the first choice is, is Declan Rice. The, before we move on from the current squad, there's just one guy I wanted to talk about. Uh, obviously, Pogba and Bruno have kind of stolen the headlines for the first two games of the season, but Mason Greenwood was on the score sheet again today. He's got two uh, two for two in the first two games of the season, eight in his last ten, dating back to, I think, April of last year. So just kind of come on to a tear lately. I, I think there was a report, I'm not sure who it was by, couple days ago but the United are looking at an established striker for next season after Cavani likely leaves on a free if Greenwood can keep this up for the rest of the year now it obviously not a, you know a goal every game but you know finish the season at around 15-20 goals what are your thoughts on leaving him there as kind of the number one option going into next season or do you think United needs to go out and get you know, an Erling Holland, or I know Mbappe was linked, but I think he's off to Madrid. But somebody like that, like an elite top five, top ten striker in world football. Yeah, I, I think that's almost definitely the priority for for next summer. Um, an, an elite number nine. Um, I so Mason Greenwood is the real deal. You know, he is he is it. He is an incredible finisher. Um, but Solskjaer said something really interesting uh, after the game against Leeds. Uh, so Carl Anker from the Athletic had asked him something about Mason Green would be in a number nine, and he said, "Who says I see him as a number nine? Uh, he says the only the only fixed number nine in my eyes we have at the club is Edison Cavani, and I thought that was really interesting because." We've all just assumed because that's you know where Greenwood played coming through the academy through reserves as uh, you know the focal point up top, but that's where definitely he would eventually end up in the senior team. But he learned that wide right attacking role uh, really well. He's now much better at it on both sides of the ball. Um, his linker play is much better. He's not the creator that Sancho is, but he's and he doesn't track back as much as let's say Dan James, but he's much better than he was before. And he's now also better as a number nine. Um, 
but he can play in various positions, you know, through the, the front three, let's say. And today he spent a half out wide and he spent a half up top. Um, and I think it might it might be a year or two before he has a, a fixed position. And I think having that fluidity in the front three, because Solskjaer has also referenced quite often um, the 2008-2009 United team, where you had Tevez, Ronaldo, Rooney, um, none of which played really a fixed position within the attack. And I think that is his vision for this United team now. You know, having players who can interchange while also having, you know, within... If you have four or five attackers completed, competing for three spots, then you have one player in that rotation who is a fixed number nine. Right now, that one player is Cavani, and I think the idea is to upgrade that fixed number nine to, well, probably Haaland. I think that that is obviously the United's first choice for that position. Solskjaer worked with him uh, at, at Mulder. Um he is the best number nine who will be realistically available because there is a buyer clause reportedly in his contract. You know, players of, of his ability don't stay at Dortmund, especially um, players with his agent don't stay at Dortmund uh, <laughs> or clubs like Dortmund or clubs like anywhere for very long. Um, so, yeah, it, it could be a, a perfect storm of circumstances, right? Other super clubs being broke. Um, Madrid being focused on um, Mbappe, you know, PSG having blown their load on, you know, Messi and, and um, a new contract with Neymar that, that they signed recently, Chelsea getting Lukaku, City being focused on Kane. So there could be a path there for United. Um, but yeah, I still, think, I still think that is necessary because, again, I don't think there is... A, you know, these fixed holes that players fit into. Because Sancho at Dortmund played as much on the left as he did on the right, so there's no, there's nothing set in stone that, okay, this is our right-side attacker. Um, Pogba might now be splitting his time between the left of the attack and midfield. Uh, Rashford, according to what metrics he uses, is, you know, just as productive on the right as he is on the left. And um, I think if Mason Greenwood, assuming Cavani leaves, he goes back to South America uh, to be close to the family after this season. Um, as much as I love Anthony Martial, I think he is not uh, the answer at number nine. and He's just not going to be at, at the required level as a fixed number nine. And Mason Greenwood, as of right now, is not a fixed number nine. You know, he, he's more fluid. So, yeah, I think filling that role is going to be as good as Greenwood is, filling that role is, is going to be important because we need depth also, right? We're always one injury away from um, being a shit show and, and looking like it's a, a bunch of players who've, who've never even met. So, <laughs> yeah, having that and having quality in depth is, is really important uh, because you look at how many games, not too long ago it was, uh, you know, Igalo played up front for a number of games. Dan James got, you know, several minutes last year um so you can see when you when you upgrade the top end then the players who get pushed down um in the um in the ranking you know uh are then better so you upgrade then 
the reserves or the fringe players. So, and, and that's what quality teams, that's what the top, top teams have. You know, you have to have backup players who really push your starters. Like, it should be, you want to win things, your fans should be arguing about who should be starting. Um, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, so, it's, like, we've kind of talked, this is something I've been thinking about a little bit, just kind of while we've been talking, and, like, there's a very funny thing where, you know, it feels like for most of the last few years, United have needed a striker, and specifically a number nine. And, like, Martial was brought in, and he was played wide. Then he's been kind of moved to the center. You know, Rashford comes up, and he plays in the center, but then he kind of moves out wide. And, you know, so you've got these two guys who were supposed to be nine strikers, center forward kind of players, and they kind of both fluctuated out wide at different times. Same thing is happening with Mason Greenwood. You know, they brought in Lukaku. They brought in Ibrahimovic. They've tried different things. And, you know, it seems to be working to an extent of that they're starting to get certain answers. Sancho coming in is going to be huge, getting a, a proper nine like a lawn, like you said. Um, but I guess, like, is it a problem that, like... Let me say it this way, because this is really all I care about. Is Anthony Martial long for United, or does it seem like he's going to be out the door within the next two years? I think he'll be out the door. Um, yeah. And that's just because, um, you know, somebody's going to have to make room uh, for a, a player like Alan or whoever is the, the senior because I, I think if we if we I think the number nine that comes in next summer is not going to be a player that comes in for depth, right? Because the, the number nine for depth right now is Mason Greenwood, because he's only you know he's still a teenager, um, and he's still learning the position and and he's still growing, quite literally uh, still growing. So I think he is next up. Um, so the player that's going to come in is probably going to be somebody who's going to share the duties of that position with him um, or somebody he is going to eventually move out of the way um, but that leaves little room for Martial because you could make the case right now that Martial is he's the holder of the number nine shirt but he's the third best number nine at the club right there's Cavani and, and Greenwood in that position may have surpassed him and and I say this as somebody who uh, after lockdown, you know, in Project Restart, um, Marcia looked—he looked like the complete modern number nine. You know, his hold-up play had really improved. He'd gotten stronger. Um, he was involving other players. His link-up play was good. His finishing was good. And I thought, okay, it's clicked. And then he took—he had a decent start to last season, even though the goals weren't coming. And then apparently the goals not coming sort of sapped his confidence and then he had a just a pull to the season then he had that injury and now he, look he didn't look great today no. um, and he's, he's working his way back from injury but Cavani might be back in contention next weekend then you have the international break um, for Cavani to, to build up his fitness more so that might be it um, we might not see Anthony Martial start important games for a while. Uh, 
And if the idea is to upgrade the number nine position, then we're talking about upgrading Martial. And United clearly are in a position where, you know, it's not unlimited budgets that we're talking about. You know, there's money made available for top signings, but then beyond that, we also have to raise funds, right? The reason that uh, Kieran Trippier or some other uh, right back to compete with Juan Bissaka isn't signed yet is because we haven't been able to sell Jesse Lingard or Andreas Pereira, who you know went on loan, uh, or anybody else in the, in in this on the fringes of the squad who may be you know available for transfer. And I think next season, if we're talking about spending big on a midfielder between this summer or next, and also spending big on a number nine, something is is going to have to give both in terms of of funds and in terms of squad space, and it'll probably be Martial. Yeah, I think yeah. Of, of the guys available and who could get moved out and still command a decent fee, I think Martial's kind of at the top of that list. Of He's only 25 and a lot of promise when he came in, and it's not like he's been terrible. He's shown, like you said, glimpses of being what people thought he would get to. But now, even without Holland coming in, actually even, like you said, with Cavani and Greenwood now, he's now the third choice, number nine. And with Greenwood out on out wide, he's almost the fourth choice winger with Rashford and Sancho in there, and then uh, I would put Greenwood, if he's on the bench, as a a winger above Martial at this point. And he's not a guy that I think will be comfortable, for sure, being the fourth-choice winger and the third-choice number nine. And I don't think it's a player United want to have on the bench as that fourth-choice when you could have a Dan James or Ahmad Diallo if he he stays or goes on loan this year and and wants to get into the the first 11 or at least uh, into the bench for next year. It's... It's an easy choice, like if you are trying to fund for other positions for a guy to, to dangle out there, because there's going to be teams who would be interested in him, and it, you know it might not be, you know the the Chelsea's and Cities and Liverpool's uh, of the world, but teams like Arsenal or or teams that are you know Leicester City or other teams that are kind of have some money and, and looking to bolster their starting eleven. He's a guy that will still attract that interest, but I can't see him or United being happy. With him being, you know, fourth choice or third choice in, in any position on the bench. Yeah, I, first of all, now that I, now that we've all agreed he needs to go, I should send him to Atletico, <laughs> where he can be with the werewolf and the scariest man in professional football. Um, but I also think, like you guys were talking about, like the thing I think that makes it him the most obvious choice is how much youth and potential they have in their younger players that are going to play out wide. You've got Chong, you've got Mejbri, you've got Diallo, you know, Sancho's only 20, 21, something like that. Like, they have so much wide attacking talent that the area they clearly are the most lacking is through the center. So I guess it just makes the most sense to move him out and see what happens. But it's going to be a a bummer for me when he leaves because he's kind of been my favorite player while he's been here, so... Sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm still. My Martial stock is. I haven't completely sold it yet. I still, uh, never. I still like it, uh, and I hope he has a good season. Um, but at the end of the day, he has not. Like he hasn't progressed. Right. He hasn't developed in a way that's commensurate with his level of talent. Uh, he he showed. Like I said, after that, after project or during project restart, I thought, oh, that's. Martial as a centre forward, that's the version we always wanted to see. But other than that stretch, 
um, you know, he hasn't. Is he a different player to when he came as a a, a teenager? Yeah, he doesn't have and, any hair. Well, that, yeah. Besides being <laughs> older, um, you know, is is he is he any any better? Has he added uh, aspects to his game that he hasn't that he didn't have before? I I don't know. You know, he runs down a lot of blind alleys, um, which is great if you want to win penalties for for you know Bruno to put in the corner. Um, but if he's not getting them, then you realize, shit, this guy's just run down blind alleys. <laughs> you know, um, when he's winning free kicks and penalties, you're like, this is great. This is why you have good dribblers who have quick feet and defenders have to foul them. But if he's just losing possession, you're like, well, has this guy not learned anything in the last, you know, six years of training? Well, like I said, I, I, I hope he has a good year, but, um, but you made a good point about there are there's young talent knocking on the door. Like I, I think Ahmad is the, also the real deal. I mean, he is. He just has a beautiful balance that the football kind of footballers I like have. You know, he always looks like he has a second longer than the players around him. You know, he, he just buys himself that extra second. You know, he's just he's really balanced on his feet. He's he's, he's a surprisingly good passer. Um, you know, in addition to his, his dribbling skills and all that, he, he moves really well off the ball. Um, so I think he will be, even if he goes on loan this season, he is going to be competing for a, a place um, at least in the first team squad next season. And, uh, and yeah, Hannibal is really good. Hannibal is going to be competing for a, a attacking midfield place. And your point about you know, or, or Eddie's point about Martial being a fourth choice winger, it's probably true. You know, you look at the left of the attack, there's Rashford, there is Sancho, there is Pogba now, you know, for probably most big games. And then you look on the right, there is uh, Sancho, there is Greenwood, and there is Rashford. So Martial, and Martial has never been good on the right, he's been effective on the left. So at best right now, he's probably fourth choice on either wing. And he might be at different points, first or second choice right now through the middle, depending on who's playing. But he's arguably the third best. And he's not a bad player. He's a good player, obviously very talented. But um, yeah, at some point, the numbers just won't work. And I think he will probably be the one to, to make way. The, the one thing I think Edison Cavani has, has proved about this attacking setup that United have is is they're desperate for a selfish player up front and not in a bad way but a guy who just wants to go out there and score goals and you know Rashford can do that but he's a creator Sancho can score goals but he's a creator you know Bruno is probably our best goal scorer right now uh, as a midfielder and, and you know plays his best as almost a second striker at times and even Pogba's, uh, you know, he's a, he's a good goal scorer as well, but he's mostly a creator, as we've seen to start this year. And Edison Cavani fits so well in this team because he's got all those creators around him, and the only thing he knows he's out there to do is score goals. And I think that's where guys like Anthony Martial is, is kind of struggling a bit. Is Yeah, he wants to score goals, but I don't see him as that guy where he's out there to do one thing. I, I think he's almost similar to Sancho and, and Rashford in the sense that he is a creator and he is a guy who's going to make runs and he's going to do a lot more than just try and score. And, and that's why, like, you know, the prospects of bringing in 
a player like Erling Holland to, to this team, you know, a guy who right now is, is probably the, you know, I don't even think probably is the best young striker in the world, just his size and his speed. And you throw in the, uh, the creative talents that United already have. And obviously the connection that he had with Jaden Sancho at, at Dortmund, uh, you know, you, it's hard for this attack to get that much better, but to, to add a player like that into the mix uh, is unreal. Cause I, you know, I love Edison Cavani, but I think he's in the perfect situation where he is the only guy that can do that for this team, that it just works so well for him. And why I think he struggled at PSG is, is they didn't really need a guy like that. They had players like that. And then he comes into a situation here where he's that guy and he's the only guy at this club that can do that. And, to bring in another player like that, and especially a younger one who's going to be around this young core for a while, is, is outside of a defensive midfielder is exactly what this team needs. <clears throat> All right. I'm depressed having talked about Anthony <laughs> Martial losing. I, I, I love that. His hair is scary. I don't know why he shaved it, but I guess he wants to just be like his hero, Thierry Henry, which is fine. Um, <clears throat> it's all right. We'll always have the ICC give and go goal. That was perfect. Um, so to do something minimally hockey. Uh, so I don't know where it came from, but I was talking to a friend of mine about how it's become my favorite word in Twitter sports analysis is unserious. Uh, you and uh, Tosin Nigerian scams on Twitter use it and it is my favorite thing in the world because it's so biting, and yet it's it's not mean. It's it's incredibly critical, but it's not mean spirited, and I just kind of enjoy that. So we put together a couple of different uh, jerseys to show you, and we're gonna have you decide if they are serious or unserious. Um, and just so everybody knows, this kind of thing kind of started because Brent. Uh, on Twitter said that he found he really liked the new Seattle Kraken jerseys and you know he decided I don't know anything about hockey but we're gonna go for it so we figured in honor of his entry point uh, to hockey being jerseys we would go with this because jer- uh, hockey has had some very interesting jerseys so um, let's see here you ready yep, yet? I got him up you got the first one up? Can you can you see everything, Brent? Yeah, I can. All right, cool. Uh, so, all right, we'll just do this this one. The Arizona Kachina jersey. Uh, well, first of all, shout out to Scams. <laughs> I believe the originator of, of Unserious. And you're right. What a what a perfect. It's such a perfect tomb, right? Because it it implies something specific. Um, oh no, this is a serious jersey. What which team is this? This is the Arizona Coyotes. Oh, this is tough. Yeah, this is their Kachina jersey. Yeah. So yeah, this one's a big. Yeah, the, the, I think yeah. this is widely considered one of one of the best jerseys. They went away from this for a while. So this this picture we have up here is from way back, early days for for Arizona. They they, yeah. they moved away from this to some just blank slate maroon jerseys for a long time, and they just finally got back to these after a while. But these yeah, these are widely considered some of the top jerseys in hockey history for sure. And they are called they are called jerseys, right? Because there was some I, I, I wasn't totally clear about whether they're called kits or jerseys or uh somebody told me they're called uh jumpers. No, sweaters, sweaters, yeah. You'll get yeah. into the debate it's either jersey or sweater for sure, depending on who you talk to. 
Okay. You're talking to people from Canada. They're going to say sweater because they think they're better than us. <laughs> uh, we have to yell at Eddie about that all the I time. I call it a jersey, but I, I know a ton of people who call it sweaters. So. Damn Canadians. All right, what do we got next here? Let's see. So, okay, this is the St. Louis Blues jersey, and this is just the weird one that's half blue, half red. Highly unserious. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot going on in this one. Yeah, and none of it is good. You know, like the the thing is, like you you look at you know these jerseys today. Like I think a lot of people love the kit, like the actual kit itself, but then the shorts kind of throw it off a bit. I feel like this one is like the jersey on its own might not be that bad, but you throw you throw in the socks, like straight half red there too, and and the blue shorts it, with the gloves, it, it kind of throws the the whole kit is just thrown off. Oh, this is. I take extra pleasure in this because I have a uh, a good friend from St. Louis, and and he's a Blues fan. So I'm gonna make sure and tell him that that uh, there you the, go. The jersey is garbage. Bringing people together, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know if you can quite see, but like on the sleeves right there is like lightning crackles, and it is just this part of. The jersey. It is the strangest thing in the world. It is like just on the forearm, and it looks like weird, like lightning or tiger stripes. Very unserious. Is that a is that a clover? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Like, what is uh? What's with the? Uh, is this the actual logo? It's, uh, MS Paint. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's two different. It's two different fonts on here. Uh, yeah. I could. Oh, that, that center. Could, yeah. I can make that it. that was their logo for a long time. Even even the new one is is basically this, but not 3D. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, uh, unserious. Yeah. This was the the phase for the NHL where they started adding the things like the waves and lightning to the jerseys to try and to try and be so exciting. So 90s, I love it. All right, moving on. Oh, Next. There we go. Oh, here we go. So this is La Gretzky in the classic L.A. Kings white chevron jersey. Oh, this is clean. This is this is serious. This is serious jersey. <laughs> yeah, this is probably one of my favorite jerseys of all time, which I already am in a shit with our fucking listeners already about saying the Red Wings logo is good. So I'll deal with it. But oh, this, this is probably one of my favorite jerseys of all time. Yeah, and. Um... Is that Casey Affleck uh, in the background? <laughs> <laughs> I assume. I assume so. I didn't. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I think they play on Manchester Street in El Segundo. So. Yeah. There you I, go. That's where they practice. That makes yeah. sense. Let's see. Oh, here you go. So, where do you live, Brett? I live in New York now. Okay, that's what I thought. So, I wanted to get these in front of you. This uh, is the Lady Liberty New York jerseys. Uh, I have not been to a Rangers game. You haven't been missing much. You're fine. <laughs> uh, um, unserious. Um, uh, this is strong uh, 4th of July themed <laughs> vibes. Don't like it. It's a little uh, too jingoistic for your taste? Little, Yeah, a little <laughs> too much rah, rah, rah back-to-back world war champs energy <laughs> i don't like it 
unserious. It, it's like the one time, like the Rangers are one of those teams. There's a few teams that like rarely change their jerseys, and this is like one of I think two or three times they changed it, and it missed completely. Like this. Yeah, if I if I if I get on a, a subway car and, and everybody on there is wearing these jerseys, <laughs> I'm getting off. <laughs> it might might actually happen. Yeah. All right. So this is the classic third Mighty Ducks jersey, which so many fans want. Uh, Go Ducks! Up the Ducks! Uh, is that? Uh, yeah, man, you got it. Come on, you Ducks! Uh, no, this is nice. This is serious. I like this. Is that? Yeah. Is that? Is that mauve? <laughs> yeah, I think we. I like think they call it like an eggplant, but eggplant. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That is sophisticated. I like it. <laughs> yeah, widely considered, I think, a lot of Ducks fans' favorite jersey. And only yeah. only came for one year, which I think is the, the big That was thing. a real tragedy of that jersey. Yeah. It was a nice jersey. <laughs> the Fish Sticks jersey. Let's go. So this is the New York Islanders Fish Sticks jersey. This is oof, probably the most one of the most infamous jerseys, I think, in hockey history. Infamous. What? Uh, what is that logo? Is that a? <laughs> it's a longshoreman. A longshoreman holding a hockey stick. Yeah. yeah. So the the story behind this one is the, the Islanders had their kind of traditional logo for a long time, and they felt like it was too similar or just kind of too generic and close to what the Rangers do. So they wanted to differentiate themselves and kind of think what defined being like an islander was and they're they came to the conclusion that they, it, it's a fisherman it's a yeah <laughs> which i don't have the picture here but i can't there's a fish sticks company that the guy Gordon. looks exactly like this and that's they, they uh, wouldn't flames, fisherman, yeah, they wouldn't flames like that oh but. this is this is a, this is incredible because sometimes <laughs> when i want to look different i also dress like shit <laughs> which is apparently what they decided to do here uh, oh my goodness unserious I maintain this that is... that jersey would be perfect is it, if it wasn't for the Colgate stripes at the bottom which just come up high yeah. to, the, like, to your midsection for no the reason the additional wave oh. and like the pointed stripes on the shoulders too That's yeah, and I'm sorry a long showman holding a hockey stick is in no way intimidating <laughs> Oh, that okay, coincides well, with the fact they weren't good. So I'm not going to tell Wayne Rooney that that's what you have to <laughs> tell him. Longshoremen aren't scary. Yeah, <laughs> and and the wave thing at the bottom sort of makes it look like he's a moo person, or they <laughs> are a moo person, or maybe it's just this picture. I need to make this bigger, but yeah, not a not a fan. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. Okay. All right. We have a little astrology here. So this is or maybe has the best name of any jersey, but this is the Dallas Stars, what it has become known as the Mooderish jersey with the, uh, uh, what do you call it? The constellation of a uh, bull's head and a weird star coming around and hitting it in his nose. Serious. Really? Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. All yeah. right. What do you like about this? 
Um, I like the color scheme. Is that green? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I like the color scheme. I don't know. I, I, I like the um, bull constellation thing going on. Not huge on that star. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, yeah, I like it. There we go. I'm I'm, we got I'm I'm torn on this one, you know. Like I I've seen obviously seen this one multiple times, and I feel like I have a different opinion every time I see it. But like the the one thing that always gets me with this is they're the Dallas Stars, and they 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 had that too much of that te- Texas focus with the the uh, the bullhead, and they, they obviously the, the constellations are there for the stars. But I can't I can't always get out of that. I, I can't erase seeing Mike Badano in this jersey out of my out of my mind. So somebody. Something to do with Texas has too much focus on Texas. Have you met Texan <laughs> before? Uh, it's it's on brand for sure. <laughs> so this is the what late nineties? Yeah, Eddie Vancouver the skate jersey. Um, unserious. Oh. Because I think something about the Canucks sounds like a racial slew to me. I know it's technically not, but it has it has racial slew energy. Uh, so I don't like it. So oh my goodness! Nothing, nothing Canuck is gonna. See, I don't even like saying it. I don't like the way it's, it's an unserious word. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> this jersey, like widely debate, like there's no middle ground with this jersey. You either love no. it or you hate it. And like I, I can never get over the, the color scheme, like the the yellow and red with the black. Like I think if you had one, that's fine. But the the logo is like an all time bottom tier logo. Like it is. Oh, we 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 joked about the lightning logo being like MS Paint. Like this is. This Dude, is this like is straight drive. out of like a nineteen eighties bowling alley. I love this logo. <laughs> yes. I love this jersey. I, it's funny, it grew on me too, because when I was a kid, I hated these jerseys and that logo, and then it kind of like clicked for me as I got older, and I was like, "No, nah, those are those are fantastic." You just see this being like a neon sign in a bar, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, I think it's the nostalgia. Yes. For you. Yeah, it always gets me. I say not good. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is the Anaheim Ducks breakout jersey. So that is uh, Tammy Solani wearing a jersey. And on that jersey is the Ducks uh, mascot, Wild Wing, uh, actually wearing a Ducks jersey jumping out of the ice. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, there's so much here. There's so much going on here. (laughs) A jersey of... A mascot wearing a jersey that's taking up the entire front of the jersey because you can't the logo for the team is not on the jersey it's on the jersey that's on the jersey <laughs> whoa right there's no look yeah. there's yeah. no bigger logo no 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 wow um i'm gonna vote serious for this just for the audacity. That's right. The breakout jersey is a king. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes. I feel I feel very validated right now. It's 
it's ridiculous. I, I would I probably feel if I was a fan of of the Ducks, obviously I'm a uh, long time uh, Kraken fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, we wouldn't want you to go against that like history you have with them. Yeah, I'm a Kraken ultra. Um, if I was a fan of the Ducks, I don't know how I'd feel about these. But as a neutral, I mean, incredible, the incredible guts to go with this this option. They went and brought these back as a, a retro jersey for this year, and it, it's the same as the Canucks jersey. Like you either love them or you hate them. But like the the this is so so Disney owned this owned the team back when these came out. Like this, they're the only company I think that would have the balls to do something like this on a jersey. You know yep. what I mean? Like this screams, yeah, we're owned by Disney, so we can do whatever we want. Yeah. All right, I think this is the last one we got here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that so... a voice though? <laughs> <laughs> So, no. So, it's not oyster. It's, Hold on. It's let me, before you tell me, let me, I'm going to guess. I'm just going to keep guessing from what I can see in this image. <laughs> it's not an oyster. Is it, is it oil? Yep. Yes. It's the Oilers. That is yep. a team. That is a team. Wow. Uh, awful. <laughs> Truly, truly bad. Uh, um, unserious. I feel like, like yeah. if Were these... if you don't know the team name, if you are seeing, there's, I feel like there's almost no way anybody can guess what this is from that logo. I no. it, like the trying to get an oil drop into a logo is hard enough, and you see it in their current jerseys. Like, I don't know what this is. Like, it it's an oil drop surrounded by what I can only believe is a metal oil drop. Encasing <laughs> it. Yeah, um, this is no. You know, now that I'm a a, a fluent, uh hockey fan and um, Kraken supporter, this is now my least favorite team. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's go. Yeah. That's fantastic. For, for the sake of the planet, in the fight against climate change, <laughs> Oilers. The Oilers must fail. Well, that works even better now because the Seattle will be playing at the Climate Change Arena. So. Oh my God! Yes, <laughs> <laughs> just incredible. It's written in the oh stars. Oh, it was meant to be. Yeah, I hate I hate the Oilers now specifically because of that logo. <laughs> that is terrible. Oh man. Well, Brent can't tell you how much fun this was. I really appreciate you giving us the time, and you know talking down to, down with us about you know man united and where that team is at and then playing that game with us and if you're down for it we'd love to have you on like halfway through the season or something and see how your life as a Kraken fan is going i would i would love that and uh, <laughs> hopefully hopefully people that listen to this um didn't stop listening five minutes in when they realized that there was nothing about hockey on uh, <laughs> it was not a joke um but yeah, thank thank you guys so much for, for having me on. This has been been a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, happy to come back and talk more United or more jerseys, or maybe even learn something about hockey. Is there anything you want to plug or? Um, no, I don't have anything for sale right now, um, <laughs> especially with uh, OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the window, go clean. 
but uh, yeah, if you want more bad uh, football opinions and even worse opinions on life, you can uh, follow me at Brent Maximin on Twitter. Classic. Well, again, I just can't tell you how much we appreciate you spending the time with us this afternoon. So thank you. Yeah, thank you guys.